Hi everyone, I'm Josh. And I'm Jim. And this is The Dapper Meeple. This show is about our love of gaming, the games we play, and the gaming community around this passion. So pull up a chair, put on your Dapper Meeple hat, and join us at the table. Hey kids, remember, this is an adult podcast and may contain adult language. Also, Dapper Meeple hat, not required. Hey everyone, on today's episode, we're going to talk about the current state of Lorcana, the good, the bad, and really the scarcity of it all. We continue talking about Gen Con with the next chapter of the great MTG heist, and also people who hate fun. Next, we try to remember what our adventuring party did last night in the deduction game, Almost Innocent. Lastly, we'll close out with our crowdfunding roundup, all that and more on this episode of the Dapper Meeple. So we're making it to episode 39, which we're pretty proud of. And I got to tell you, uh, looking back over our episodes and then the coverage of what's been the big stories, I feel like we've been hitting the mark pretty well. So uh, you're like, good on us. Like, we know what the hell we're talking about. Well, let's not go too far. <laughs> uh, yeah, 39 episodes. It won't be long. We'll be pushing 50. We'll have to have a celebration. Maybe we'll do a giveaway or something. That's what we should do. Yeah. Level 50 giveaway. Yeah, because we have all kinds of cool stuff to give away that we've just amassed from right various places. But yeah, I, I'm excited. I, you know, we talk about this a lot. How we do this because we enjoy it. Right. It's given us a lot of opportunities to go places, meet people. You know, that sort of thing that we would have never had without it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we do our silly little show, and uh, then we walk up and talk to people, and like, hey, we like things that you do, and yeah. They're like, cool. Do you want to come sell stuff for us? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's good. I, I really enjoy it. I, I will continue to enjoy it. And we'll keep doing it as long as there's stuff to talk about. Sure. Which it seems like there's always stuff to talk about. Um, let's talk about some of the stuff right now. Uh, one that we're pretty excited about. Well, I'm semi-excited. <laughs> like my excitement is mutating. Yeah. That's, that's good. Yeah, that's that, good. That I good. like that. That's good. <laughs> Dice Throne has uh, announced their next project, which is going to be Dice Throne Marvel X-Men. Yep. Um, I will tell you that I've always been a bigger fan of X-Men than Avengers. Uh, Avengers has gotten lead billing for, what, the last 15 years? Yeah, I, I think part of it was Avengers got a better cinematic treatment than X-Men did. It did. And I know that that was a whole, like, Marvel sold off the rights to X-Men early on, which I liked those movies as well. They just didn't get the same oomph. Yeah, I would think between that and then the backing from Disney yeah. that the Avengers got, because yeah, it it reminds me of Spaceballs uh, when he's talking about all the merchandising stuff that they have. That was the way I felt when the first Avengers movie came out, yeah. you know, that you could buy all the action figures, you could buy the Lego sets, you could buy the, you name it, and they had it. Right, right. Yeah. So um, that's... That's why I feel like part of that has the Avengers have gotten kind of a bigger rep. But I'm excited for this Dice Throne. Yes. Uh, Dice Throne is, you know, it's always when we talk about some of our favorite games, it's up there in the top three, if not, I think it was the top spot for our top 10 last year. I think it was pretty close. Yeah. If not. Um, I still, my favorite characters to play are the Monk, uh, the Seraphim, and Doctor Strange. Yeah. I, I really liked when they brought out Marvel Dice Throne. That mm -hmm. was a really nice addition. 
I like that you could even play it with Dice Throne Adventures as well. Sure, sure. There's a lot of really good stuff with it. So that's part of what's coming out in the new set. So the new core boxes that are coming out are going to be Marvel Dice Throne with X-Men. And then they're coming out with um, Dice Throne Missions. Sure, which is a PvE setup, kind of like Adventures. But it yep. sounds like it's more of a single scenario where Adventures, you kind of build a campaign through it. Yeah. Yep. So they have announced the first two characters for the X-Men set, which is uh, Wolverine and Psylocke. Which two great X-Men characters. I mean, you knew if it was going to be X-Men that Wolverine was going to be involved. Yeah, I picture probably we're going to get Professor X. I would imagine maybe um, Mystique, maybe. Magneto is probably in the mix. Maybe. Uh, he if lately they've been if you get Professor X you get Magneto right because they've been putting them together a lot. I would love to see Gambit. Oh he, my he's god, he's always been one of yeah. my favorite X Men. Like not so much because his power was really great, but I just love that attitude. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. It, it it really was not the his his powers or anything like that. It it was that flair that he had, right? Yeah, that, that Cajun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's a girl that I kiss will kill me. Yeah, I'll do it. Like, yeah, hey, yeah, you. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, Rogue was drawn really hot. I get it. <laughs> it happens. Right. So, but they get, if they do give us Gambit, they have to give us Rogue. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I would do uh, a, a Jean Grey Dark Phoenix. Like, oh, what like if the it cursed had a, pirate. A flippable board? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's that would be good. I, I mean, things like uh, Nightcrawler are really good. Right. He's always had a really fun ability. Yeah. Yeah. I'm afraid though, like he might be too close to what's that, the Shadow Thief, or I think it would play very similar to the Shadow Thief. It would have to for him to be good and effective. Yeah, that's what I'm. I'm worried about. Uh, there were a lot of people online actually upset when they announced that it was going to be another Marvel property. Yeah, they wanted new original characters. Sure, which I I get it. Like the original characters from Dice Throne are really really good. They are. They are most of them. Samurai yeah. still. I just don't like it. <laughs> just don't like it. It feels like it's a. It feels like the mechanic is punch me in the face and I'm going to cut you. Yeah. And that's what it does. Yeah. But I know they did really, really well with the first Marvel set in making the play style feel like the characters. They did. So I'm really excited to see how they build that into the X-Men set. I know with the release of Wolverine, what they've already shown of it, like half of his abilities, maybe three quarters, do some sort of healing to you. Right. So it kind of embodies that regeneration property, which I think that's fantastic. I Yeah, I would definitely be with that. I, I, I kind of had it too. I kind of had that Marvel burnout when I heard it. But then I saw the first two and I was like, no, no, I'm okay with this. Like, yeah, yeah. give me some X-Men. Let's, let's play with that property a little bit. Yeah, because at the end of the day, it is still more dice thrown, which actually a lot of Marvel games are moving into the X-Men property now. Um, after the initial Avengers rush. So the one that comes to mind is Marvel champions, right? So you had, you played through all, you got all the Avengers and you got into the guardians of the galaxy. They got into the spider verse. Um, and now they're finally working their way into X-Men. Yeah. So again, I, I think that's kind of the eventuality of a lot of these Marvel properties. I hope that this incites a little bit of excitement into X-Men and we can get a proper done movie. Right, they're already talking about who would play Wolverine because Jackman is—he's out of it. He's yeah, he's done his. Which oh, yeah. was great. I mean, all—I mean, even through Logan, uh, he did it well. So, who would be the next? As long as we get another Ryan Reynolds Deadpool cameo, I'm all for well, it. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. But not like the—not the silent one from that one movie. Not that one. Yeah, no, the one that he makes fun of, which <laughs> I, I love. I think it's hilarious. But no, a, a proper Ryan Reynolds Deadpool cameo, I think, would be great. I, I saw online that. Uh, with there's a new series and I think it might be on Peacock 
but it's a, like post-apocalyptic, you know, trying to survive, and it's got Daniel Radcliffe in it. Ooh, and okay. apparently he got jacked. Like, Harry Potter coming back to cast some fist and shit. <laughs> <laughs> Muscle wizard cast fist. Yeah. <laughs> Abra could punch you in the face. <laughs> So uh, some people were talking like, "Hey, he could be the next. Uh, he could be the next uh, Wolverine." I mean, there's a lot of like young talent out there that I could see being, you know, a potential cast for like a good Wolverine. Yeah, you know, because I I feel like there's enough story in like the X Men kind of properties to have like its own Avenger level storylines. Oh, absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. so I. I'd really love to see that. I'd also love to see DC get their shit together and do some cool stuff like that. But, you know, we'll we'll see if uh... they, they just can't help but be dark. That's the problem. <laughs> They're just also depressed over there. <laughs> it's because when you start off the Batman IP, that's why. There you go. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. 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 So some of the other gaming news that we have going on right now, uh, the big one is the the search for Lorcana. Yeah. Like Disney needs to make a whole ass like. <laughs> animated franchise on just this it's been epic the next disney movie coming to theaters <laughs> so for those of you that um uh, are listening to this podcast and then living under a rock or whatever um Lorcana <laughs> is the new tcg trading card game that was produced by ravensburger yep. with disney stamp of approval and it's got the disney ip so so right now it is just disney animations properties right okay so traditional stuff like your mickey mouse those type of properties your princesses all the um, stuff from disney animation studios got it got it now technically i would assume that ravensburger has rights to star wars as well as marvel because they've done villainous in both of those properties yeah yeah so I would assume they do have the rights. They may not have the specific ones for the card game, but I imagine getting them would be a matter of paperwork for them. Right. Disney's kind of tapped Ravensburger as their go-to for their gaming. Yeah. Um, and they did it for Lorcana. And then, uh, I mean, I just feel like Ravensburger has bungled this. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody made a decision somewhere along the way that they should hold off on printing um, a lot of this because they weren't sure how sales were going to go. Even with that, Lorcana officially released at Gen Con. Right. It was wild. Yeah, it was uh, crazy. And then we got back home and they're like, all right, we're going to release it to game stores. Right. And all the game stores here got stuff. And I mean, sold out within like 30 minutes. Yeah. Like maybe. Well, we, did, we, we didn't make it over and pick up a couple of starter packs. Yeah. In Portsmouth. But yeah, uh, it even feels like they didn't make enough. Yeah, so let's kind of give a, a rundown of, of what we've seen happen. So the biggest story, I think, with this is the supply versus demand has been off the charts. Yeah. Uh, there was very little supply. Many game stores reported that they got less than half of what they originally requested. That has caused a problem with the secondary market, mostly. Right. Because this product has been in such a high demand and people not being able to get their hands on it, it has brought in a lot of scalpers. Tons. So what we have noticed and actually seen firsthand is people showing up when they had the full release to like Walmarts and Targets and things like that. They were not getting very much product either. And people were going in, buying everything that they had, and then turning around and selling them on like a secondary market. Sure, for two and three times 
what the MSRP is. Yeah, and part of that is because the card value of these are pretty substantial. Sure. Uh, just to give a little bit of perspective, the most expensive card in the set is over five hundred dollars. Um, it is a special art enchanted Elsa. I think it has like a 0.01% pull rate, something something ridiculously low like that. That being said, any of the enchanted type cards, which are all full art cards, the cheapest one of those goes for over $100. There's a lot of value in the specific cards as well. And that that usually creates a, an increase in wanting to get the products, especially, you know, wrap product and things like that. But then with the scarcity of the actual availability of the product, it has created this weird like vacuum almost. So now we're seeing scalpers coming in and they're picking up booster packs for $7 a pack and they're turning around and selling them for 15. Well, even some of the game stores here were selling booster packs for 12.99. Yep. And that is another issue that we've seen. Some game stores are overcharging way above MSRP. Now we we've talked a little bit about game stores and margins and things like that before. Because margins are usually tight on a game Absolutely. Um, and, and it seems like a lot of trading card games keep the doors open. Right. Mostly singles, though. Sealed right. product for trading card games only runs about a 20% margin, which for those of you who aren't in business and don't know, that's not a very good margin for a retail store. That being said, I could see a dollar or two markup on the packs. Sure. Absolutely. Right? You know, sell them for eight bucks, something like that. You know, get a little bit of extra money off of it for sure. But when you start getting into double MSRP, like that's when it starts to feel bad. Yeah. Because like all trading card games, I feel like it's important to build a community around the game, especially a new game. Because right now, nobody has their hands on it. Nobody knows really what it is. Nobody's played it. It's not like magic that's been around for 30 years where you have dedicated fans across the board that are going to always come back and play at your store. Right. So if we had a game store, the way that I think I would want to do it is sell the packs at the lowest margin that we could get away with feasibly, whether that's MSRP or maybe a dollar two above, whatever that looks like, sell the product at that level and then hold some of the product for in-store events. Yeah. Especially given how restricted the product was. Um, I know I've heard a lot of stores doing this, where they sold like their packs and their booster boxes, things like that, and then held their starter decks for in-store events. So you could come in and buy a starter deck to play with at the event. Yeah, that would yeah that would be good. I, I yeah. would yeah be behind that. So that lets one that lets more people actually get their hands on the product to play, um, because a lot of families are really wanting to get into this. Everywhere that I've been, so there was I guess for us there's been like three big openings. There was the Gen Con opening of it, right. which we were like, oh, we're not even. Nothing in my life is worth six hours of waiting in line right now. So we kind of skipped off of that. But we knew when we got home, our game stores would have it. Right. So we did pick up a couple of boxes there. Then there was the big box release on September 1st. Yep. And I was fortunate enough to be first in the door at the Target uh, near my office. Yeah. And they had a... Uh, and they didn't even have... It, it, this is Target we're talking about. And they had the starter packs... Yep. They had, uh, I think they had a couple of the gift boxes, and they had some of Lumineer's Trove, which is like a little box that gives you some storage capability and It's stuff. like a fat pack for those who like magic, or bundles, I guess they're calling them yeah, now. Yeah. So um, it was like eight eight packs to open, so I grabbed yeah. two of those at like 50 bucks a pop. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that was it. You know, they did not have a lot of product. Yeah. But at every place that I've been to, um, the people that I have ran into that were also there for the same thing, Every time I've done it, it's always been like a family, like, hey, 
my kid's interested in this. We're wanting to play it. You know, it has not been what I envisioned as like your typical TCG players. Right. Right. Because I figure that's a huge community in and of itself. Yeah. And they're a little rabid. Let's not. Let's not sugarcoat it. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. don't get me wrong. I get it. Love something. Uh, do you know? Do something you love and all that. But it hasn't been them. And because it's also a Disney IP, you're bringing in, like you've talked about, that's two major groups of people that get a little crazy about the stuff they love and you put them together. <laughs> and then you did not send enough, but all the people I've met have been families. And the dude, because there was another release to GameStop that was Friday. Yeah. And we went to a, we went to separate GameStops and didn't get anything. Oh, we got a starter pack. We got, we got one, one more starter, starter pack. pack. Which we may end up giving away the actual starter deck. Yeah. Um, because it, all the starter packs come with one booster pack. So we pulled the booster pack out. Um, but we already have that starter deck. So there's, I'd much rather get it in the hands of somebody who could use it probably. That's so, what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, we may keep an eye out on our Instagram. We may do something on there. But yeah, the, it's been people that just want to play the game. Now, they're also going to reprint chapter one, which are yep. the cards that are out right now, right? Yeah. So there's a, a few things coming up. Most important right now is if you're looking for the product, you can try Walmart and Target because some of them still have not stocked properly yet. They are also getting a end cap um, of booster packs. So you may be able to get a little bit of product late. If you're looking for, if you haven't got anything and you're trying to get something, uh, keep an eye out on like secondary selling sites. So TCG Player, eBay, for uh, starter decks, that's the quickest way to kind of get in. Um, some of them are not crazily priced right now. So MSRP on a starter deck, I think, is $17.99. A lot of them on there are going for like $25 to $30. So not terrible. Um, you might even be able to pick up one without a booster pack in it, closer to MSRP. Right. Uh, the other option is to go singles. You can get a lot of the cheaper singles even to build like a starter deck for around the same price. So I was going to say a lot of them go for like a buck or less Yeah, for, you know, your common cards that you'll need to build that yeah. deck. You're not going to get anything crazy for a cheap price. You know, some of the more powerful cards are going to cost more. But where we are right now, just to play the game, just to get a deck of cards in your hand, it's kind of the options right now. Uh, like you said, I have seen, I follow the subreddit, the Lorcana subreddit that has... A lot of posts on there about people even now finding restocks of Target and Walmart. So there is a lot of uh, restocks still going on or product actually just now getting to these locations. So just keep an eye out on that and make sure you might, I mean, you might be able to find something there. So the next big restock that we know of that's supposed to happen is in October. Now, yes. from my understanding, it's not like going to fix all these problems. Uh, depending on how big it is, it might even make them a little worse. We'll see. Uh, I know game stores are supposed to be getting restocked as well as another wave coming to uh, big box stores. What I've heard from a few game store owners is that the product they've requested, again, they're not going to get the amount that they've requested. It's only going to be a little bit. So, you know, it's probably not going to fix the issue. But again, you might be able to get your hands on some. Now, the next big release that comes after that is going to be Chapter 2, which is the whole next set that is coming out. Uh, it releases to game stores November 17th and then to big box stores on December 1st. Hopefully they've ran a bigger production of this, but we'll see. 
And then lastly, like you mentioned, uh, Ravensburger has already put out that they're going to be reprinting Chapter 1 uh, early 2024. Sure. So that way the cards will still be available and you'll be able to get your hands on them if you're more of a collector, more that, than right. likely. Because um, the art on them is gorgeous. It really is. There's a lot of really, really cool things they're doing with it. So that's that's kind of where we are right now with Lorcana. It's rough out there. It is. It is. It is, and it, I, there were, I know there have been reports or articles that I've read about the reprinting where they're like, the TCG community is just not happy about it. And I was like, whoa, I don't think it's a TCG community at all. I think it's these jackasses that are getting it and trying to make a fortune off of this card game yeah. by showing up and buying everything out um, yeah. and then trying to you know sell it for exorbitant prices. Yeah. So I think those people are not excited about a reprinting. Yeah, because they wouldn't be, because that means that they're, the price of what they have is going to go down. Right. They're still probably going to make money on it. I would guarantee it. Sure. Because short of it being like a massive reprint, which Ravensburger has been pretty open about, hey, we did not make enough of this. We want this to be a game that people can get their hands on to play. Right. I don't know. Maybe they are planning on printing it into the ground. So we'll see. But for those people that are reselling it, and trying to make a ton of money, I hope that every time you open your mouth, a bug flies in. <laughs> every time you get up, I hope you step on a Lego. I it just I want bad things. Like I don't want you to die. That's extreme. Right. 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 But I want your life to be severely inconvenienced by minor things for the rest of your life. <laughs> that's where we are. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh. But. For those of you who maybe have gotten your chance to get your hands on some cards and play it, let us know what you think about it. Uh, honestly, as a fan coming from TCGs, um, I think it's got a pretty solid base. Mm-hmm. Uh, time will tell if it's got any staying power, because right now it feels very simple, but all sets, all card games feels very simple after the first set. Right, until somebody unlocks. Well, there there's only so many keywords and things like that you could shove into a set before you make it overtly complicated. What's going to tell whether or not this game is going to be able to stick around is what they do with set two. Okay. Because if they come in and they're able to add new keywords, new complexity, not change the core of the game, but change the like surrounding parts of it. It's like magic. Every time magic comes out, each set has usually four new keywords, right? They all do something different, something new. That's why you need a dictionary of keywords now to play magic. <laughs> That's what has kind of what you need with a trading card game is to keep things fresh. Right. So you need these new things. As far as characters and artwork and things like that, Ravensburger has enough of those to print for the next 15 years and never even scratch the surface. Sure. But it's going to be how they implement those within the card game itself with the mechanics and things like that in order to, you know, really build longevity into the game. So speaking of magic, <laughs> let's get an update on the great magic heist. Uh, we talked about this. We've talked about this for a couple of shows. I'm fascinated by this story for a couple of reasons. One, just because you can make a board game does not in any way like transfer those skills into real world abilities, right? Just because you're smart enough to build a board game doesn't mean you're smart enough to create and pull off a heist. That's what I've learned. Uh, <laughs> That's the moral of this story, I guess. I, the uh, two gentlemen, who which have been identified as Thomas Dunbar, or TJ Dunbar, as he uses for his official uh, uh, signature, 
and Andrew uh, Giami, I believe it is, they created a game called Castle Assault. They kickstarted their game. They brought their game to Gen Con. And at some point between being game designers and getting into Gen Con, they decided that their life would be better if they stole $300,000 worth of product from a game store that was uh, setting up a booth in Gen Con. Right? Right. So these two have officially been charged. We're not lawyers. But the evidence seems pretty overwhelming to me. There's video camera of them walking into the hall, getting a pallet jack, picking up the pallet of cards, hiding it under a curtain, coming back later with a hand cart, leaving with a hand cart, going into the parking garage, bringing an empty hand cart back, and then, you know, taking it to their hotel. And all of the product was found in New York, where, guess where they're from? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You got it, you amateur detectives. (laughs) So and uh, and apparently my the the story that I'm reading is from Polygon, and my favorite part of this is that at some point they were easy to identify for a couple of reasons, and one of the big ones being is because they were connected to Gen Con. They had both originally registered the badges in their names. There's an affidavit out there that says that their names were changed to Scott Fisher and Ashriel Lockhart. You need to go look at the Kickstarter and watch the video. For Castle Assault, because this Andrew Giami guy just looks like the type of dude that would steal some magic cards, right? He will take candy <laughs> literally from babies. All right. We're gonna get we're gonna catch a slander charge here. Cause this dude just watching him, I'm like, oh yeah. Like, who would meet this guy and go, No, he's not a suspect. I would sign this dude up just to make sure he wasn't involved with Kennedy, all right? He just <laughs> everything about him makes me feel like this is a dude who's going to try to beat the system, and it's not going to be legal. But who the hell uses a fake name of Ashriel Lockhart? Like, what a pretentious prick. <laughs> that looks like he was playing an RPG, and he pulled that off of his list of, like, NPC names. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> As a pretty dedicated DM, that's what I see happening. <laughs> I... But anyway, uh, now I want to dig through like the, the the GM guide and see if those two names are on the roll chart. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I just uh, he just but it, I see the name and after like seeing the guy, I'm looking at it going, yeah, no, this that that checks out. So yeah, apparently they stole the product, and like I said, there is lots of different video and photographs that they've pieced together with them with the stolen product. Um, several times wearing the T-shirt of the game they designed. Yeah. Uh, and th- the evidence seems like it's mounting. Uh, it doesn't look good for them. They're talking like, was it one to six years in prison and some serious fines, uh, which I think good. Like, y- congratulations. You have made your way into the shittiest part of our community. Yeah. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So, uh, yeah. And then uh, I guess they found somebody in New York uh, a person who was coerced, so they say, into buying a pallet of Magic the Gathering cards for four grand. So they lost so much money on this. Like, not only are you not good at stealing things, you're not good at fencing them either. <laughs> hey, don't you know it's it's tough to sell stolen items? If I have learned anything from my playthroughs of of Skyrim and Fallout, <laughs> when you steal items, they have a little red icon on them from then on out. <laughs> 
<laughs> but no, I I just it it kills me because having you know been at Gen Con and talking with you know the guys that we worked with the day that like you get into setup, it's a madhouse in there. Yeah. You yeah. know, and like to have people come in because you're trying to get all your product in there. You're trying to get set up because, you know, I, I imagine for this gaming company, like Gen Con is probably very profitable for them. Yeah. They, obviously enough that they thought they needed to bring $300,000 worth of product. Yeah. And that was only one pallet. Yeah. So I, I just, I hate that. I hate that this is something we have to worry about, you know, like I feel like I, I wish the community in total were better, but I'm glad that these guys were caught and it wasn't, you know, this mystery that nobody ever found them. Right. So. Right. Again, thankfully, we weren't dealing with real masterminds here. <laughs> but I mean, that's everybody has a different experience at Gen Con. You know, apparently some people did not like it. Um, yeah. So. Let's let's talk about this and we'll we'll jump into a few other things in this episode. So there have been some people. I I, I think we should avoid using their names in particular. I'm sure you can find them though. They have created threads in the forums on BGG about their experiences at Gen Con being not let's just, let's just call it what it is. They they said they did not have a good time at Gen Con. So Quote, it sort of sucked. Yeah, so I just... So when I first read this article, it took me a little while. Because I was trying to figure out, were they at the same convention that I went to? Now, granted, there were 70,000 people at this convention uh, on Saturday. But we had a blast. Like, and I... And I don't know if it's because expectations or uh, I feel like especially with this article the person that was complaining about things I think a lot of it I think it might have been expectations but I think it's not just the fact that uh, their expectations were wrong I think it's the fact that they it almost sounds like they wanted to not enjoy themselves we all know people like that yeah you have to accept going to Gen Con that Gen Con is big, right? Right. But they do a lot of things to you know, to help out with people with mobility issues. Uh, they do a lot of things to keep traffic moving. They do a lot of uh, like setup and like you know when the line for Lorcana was snaking around the building like the <laughs> Leviathan from the Thirteenth Warrior. Um, there were Gen Con staff there at the doorways that were keeping the line orderly, but keeping an opening for people to go in and out. Yeah, I never at any point felt crushed. Yeah, I was actually surprised because I expected more of that. Yeah, I, I really did. And part of it might have been we avoided the like big surge, you know, when the expo hall opened every morning. We were able to avoid that kind of initial push. But that could be the only place I really would have expected there to to be something like that. So in, in this um, in this post that this person made. There were a few big complaints they had. One of them was they said Gen Con was too big. Okay. I could see. I mean, I think that's a relative thing. But yes, Gen Con is huge. It is the largest four days in tabletop gaming. It is the largest convention in North America. Yes, it feels like it's going to be big. 
Yeah, it feels like if you're complaining about that, you don't know how numbers work. I don't, I don't know. Like, well, so let's keep talking about. So some of the other things that they complained about were event ticketing, right? So they did not get their badges until closer to the event, right? Um, so a lot of the ticketed events were sold out, which there are a lot of ticketed events in Gen yeah. Con, and it's wild. I mean, it's everything from game demos to like LARPing, LARPing. <laughs> to like game board game yoga like there's a lot of stuff yeah but a lot of them do get sold out pretty quickly when ticketing opens up i think in may ish is when it usually opens up so i get that if you didn't know that that can be a little frustrating but from experience and we talked about this in our wrap-up episode the day we got there we put could pull up events and there were still like thousands of events that you could get tickets for yeah it's not like there were not things to do now, I don't know if there were specific things that this person was looking for, but, you know, nonetheless. The other thing they said, there wasn't anywhere for any open gaming. And I think they just didn't find the location. Um, and what it sounded like, they said that they asked some of the event staff, and none of them could, were very helpful, was basically paraphrasing what they said. Sure. Uh, and I understand that. I think the, the way that they hire the event staff there, the convention center is hiring. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I, being as big as Gen Con is, I doubt that they would know exactly where everything is going. Sure. Because again, we talked about this. It's spanning not only the entire Indiana Convention Center. It's got the surrounding hotels are involved, as well as Lucas Oil Stadium across the street. Like, there's a lot of things going on. Yeah. So I I get it at first. Like, at first glance, I get it. It's it's overwhelming. But to me, this whole post screams i did not do any research before coming to gen con absolutely and like i said it's a little bit different with packs like the packs has the enforcers and the enforcers are pretty helpful yeah enforcers are trained by packs exactly like they show up the day before and they go through like a walkthrough it's also not near as big i was gonna say packs is what 25 to thirty thousand people yeah so half yeah, they have multiple enforcer meetings, too, during the event, mm-hmm. um, like in the evenings and things like that. So there's a constant flux of information to enforcers because it's a smaller staff group, too. That's true. Yeah. 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 So uh, maybe and that's my thing is maybe they had had experience somewhere else where, you know, a smaller con. But yeah, I. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just so that's what it screams to me now. I'm not saying that you need to go and, you know, watch a thousand hours of video, read, you know, 50 different articles or anything like that before you go to Gen Con. But this is an event like this is this is a big thing. And we talked about a little bit of it when we did our um, kind of pre Gen Con episode. There's so much stuff going on at Gen Con that if you go in without a plan. Like you'll just get swept away. Yeah. 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 You have to have an idea of some of some of the things that you want to go do. You know, where do you do you want to spend time on the floor? Do you want to check out game demos? Are you wanting to see, you know, the gaming spaces? Uh, do you want to spend all your time at the block party at the beer tent? It's all up to you. Yeah, I, I think the part of the issue that I had more than anything was one, they did not make use of resources that are out there. So not only in the Gen Con, there's a Gen Con subreddit, there's a Gen Con Discord server, there's even a place where you can put in your question and your phone number, and some, like, a helpful person will text you an answer to your information. Like, 
there's so many things out there. If you had questions, you could find out the information for it instead of just being angry that you didn't know whatever it was right off the top of your head. Yeah. Um, I, so that's one of my biggest. The other one is just in this specific post, there are just some flat out lies. Like, <laughs> I don't know any other way to describe it. Inconsistency. Sure. Um, then there was no game space where you could sit and play anywhere. Are you out of your mind? Yeah. Like there are people sitting down in the middle of halls playing stuff. Like not only that, there were huge areas of huge open tables. Of <laughs> Lucas Oil Stadium, the entire field was covered in tables and the vast yeah. majority of them were open for people to come grab a game, sit down, open it up, find strangers, however you like to do your thing. We did our demos there. Yeah, and we, we walked whole trains of people over there. Right, yeah. Like, we just had a line of people going to join a cult. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, I just... That was one of the things. The other one that really got me was... They said Gen Con was a TTRPG uh, convention and that there were hardly any board games anywhere. I don't understand that at all. That was when I read that. I was like, what convention were they at? Right. (laughs) If you wander through any aisle of the expo hall, I mean, there were some good TTRPG stuff there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I would put the split at like. 25 75 yeah in favor of board games yeah 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 Yeah. like uh, and they said there wasn't anywhere to like play games or do demos but it all over almost at every booth there were demos being ran for whatever the game was i wonder if this is a person that has like sensory like issues like getting overstimulated and then shuts down because that's what it sounds like because there was some stuff that just was blatantly there yeah yeah, like I wanted, I would love to know what convention they were in, like, or or how how they or what they did, like, because that's I I don't know how you don't stumble through the expo hall and see the thousands of games that were there. But anyway, uh, we talk about this to say this: Gen Con may not be for everybody, and sure. that's okay. Yeah, if, if conventions aren't your thing, that's that's perfectly fine, but. I would always recommend not going online and posting that a convention that obviously thousands of people love and always have a good time at going on there and saying that it sucks. Right. Right. Because your perception and your like interaction with it may not have been the greatest, but I think it definitely, if you have thousands of people saying that, no, this is the best convention. These are the best four days in gaming. If you walk away from it without that same perception, I would definitely check to make sure that like your own perception of what happened was not flawed. Right. What did I miss? That yeah. would have been my question. Yeah. Like, everybody's so pumped about this, and I thought it sucked. Yeah, because, I mean, this was our first year at Gen Con as well. Yeah. You know, and we had more structure than most people who go to Gen Con because obviously we were going to help and work in the booth. Sure. We had a job, air quotes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We had a schedule of places to be that were not just events or things like that. But I still, I we got to do everything that we wanted to do and then some. We got to explore and discover because that was really what this was all about for us. Sure. We didn't go in with really much of a plan. We're not great at planning anyway. It's not our thing. And we we came out with a blast. And I think I can speak for both of us when I say if we can, we're planning on going to Gen Con every Next year. year. Yeah. Yeah. 
So we're ride this horse till it bucks, baby. <laughs> but yeah, I, so if you were out there and maybe you went to Gen Con, maybe you didn't have the best experience, you know, let us know. Because I, I would love to find out what what things you did not enjoy or what were some of the things maybe you couldn't find or what were some things that could have made your con better? Yeah. Cause there, there are a lot of, there was a lot of stuff going on there. Like we said in our last episode, there's too much for you to do everything. Yeah. You've got to pick and choose what you want. Yeah. Yeah. But there is something for everyone there. Like no matter what it is you're looking for, there's definitely something for everyone. Yeah. Next year we're going to, we're going to make cosplay deviants party next year. We're going to be exhausted. It's going to be great. <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, well, that's our opening. Uh, let's get into uh, some games we play. I used to bang it on the head drum, but I am sorry it was just for fun. I used to play a little ping pong. I gotta tell you, it was just for fun. And here I go, catch you later. Almost Innocent. Designed by Philippe Tolle with art by Satoshi Matsuda, published by Colossal Games. Have you ever woken up from a night of just a little too much spicy tea and thought, what in the hell happened? Well then, you're all set to play Almost Innocent. In this collaborative deduction game, you play as adventurers who stopped off at the tavern first and woke up in a bit of trouble. But we're innocent. Well, almost. Now your group has to figure out what happened, to who, where it happened, and who did it. You begin this campaign by dealing each person four or five solution cards, depending on the scenario. Those cards correlate to a crime, victim, site, evidence, and offender, and are the answers for the person to your left. In the center of the table is a board with a grid matching those cards, and you start by asking the person to your right how many of your solutions are in a column or row, or if a particular solution is there, say like your victim or site. Then everyone at the table will answer that question. The party continues to ask questions and keep track of the answers until they are all out of questions. Then they must announce their deductions. Going around the table, each person says what they believe to be the right answer, and it is either confirmed or rejected by the person on their right. The entire group has a limited number of wrong guesses, and if you use all those up, everyone's going to jail. So this is one of the many projects that we had backed this year on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll tell you what drew me to it is, uh, again, I like themes. And the theme of it is very much an adventuring party, wanders off to adventure, stops by a local tavern, and wakes up in jail the next morning. And that appealed to me on lots of levels. Um, but I didn't expect this to be as enjoyable for me as what it was. Yeah. So we're talking about Almost Innocent. By Colossal Games. Yes. So when we first packed this, I was like, okay, that's a, it's a different idea. Yeah. Like, I, I like the theme behind it. I think that was pretty cool. I'll be honest, the theme doesn't really translate very good into the actual gameplay. But I was intrigued enough where I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. Uh, I will say I had a blast with it. Yeah. So we played, what, three or four games of it uh, the other day when it came in. I was going to say, I think we got through the first four scenarios. Yeah. And... It's different from anything that we have, right? Which I think is first of all fantastic, but it's very, very enjoyable. Uh, Almost Innocent is a cooperative deduction game that kind of plays as like a progressive story mode, where the objective continues to get harder and harder because of the board. So 
the way the game looks and lays out, you have a five by five grid in the middle of the table. And on the grid, there are one of five different um, items in each um, different grid spot. You have a victim, you have evidence, you have the site, and you have the crime. And then later on, you also have the offender that you have to figure out. Those four or five things are things that you have to determine because you're trying to prove you're innocent. Right. So each player has a screen in front of them that behind that screen, you keep a dry erase pad that is kind of a mirror of the five by five grid, except it's empty. And then you have four cards or five cards, depending on which level you're at, that have the clues for the player to your left. Right. Right. So during the course of the game, you have these little magnifying glass tokens and you use them to either ask the question of how many of my clues are on this row or column Mm -hmm. and or you can say, do I have any of the specific clue in this row or column? Right. Like, is my crime in this column A? Yeah. And then that question goes all the way around the table. Yeah. Everybody answers for the person sitting to their left. So the cards that I hold are the answers to the person to the left. And through my information, they have to keep track of what's going on on the board, and that gives them the ability to make a deduction. Yes. Now, it gets very interesting as you start going up in levels because you have all sorts of crazy things on the board, including like certain uh, victims or crimes or something like that will, will take up more than one space. So the answer of you have X amount in this row or column gets tricky because if you have a double one, it could show up multiple times. There's a lot of things that kind of throw off the deduction there, which are fantastic. It keeps things fresh. Um, There are some variable player powers that get introduced down the road as well. Yes. That allow you to do some different things based on what character you choose. Uh, Overall, it's just a lot of really, really cool stuff. Uh, There are multiple um, difficulties as well. And the difficulties are basically tracked by the amount of questions you can ask. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The the more questions you get to ask, the like that's the beginner or the easy level, and then there's normal, and then there's the master level. Yeah. So it basically just takes away some of those questions for you, at least in the earlier scenarios that we played. Yeah. And it can be pretty challenging. <laughs> we started out like the first two scenarios. We're like, oh, this is a piece of cake. Like, okay, it's a lot of fun. I'm, you know, I'm working on my grid. Uh, let me tell you, just for advice for people that may be getting this in. Don't mess up your grid. Yeah. Yeah. There were a couple of times where we got to the end and we were like, wait a second. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. So we'd walk back through the questions uh, like everybody would answer the questions again just to make sure that you had marked everything right. And most of the time I was like, oh, oh, that's what I did. Yeah. I, I didn't. I marked that wrong. Yeah. The first two scenarios, we pretty much breezed through. We're like, all right. Yeah. Like we're pretty smart people. We got this. Um, it was me and Josh and then uh, my partner Marie came in and she was playing with us as well. She's like a school teacher. Like you got to watch those kids. So I figured deduction was going to be right down her alley. Um, but then we got into like scenario three and four and it was like, uh, yeah, kind of sure. Yeah. We get out to the end of like, it could be one of two things. So and I think a lot of that is if we had like one more question. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was definitely times where, oh, if somebody would have asked this one question here on this row, I would know for sure. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it, because it's cooperative too, I think a lot of it might be 
instead of asking the questions that you want to know, like asking the question you know would benefit somebody the most. Yes. That's the thing that I like about this game with the way that it's set up. Uh, I was talking to some people about it. and They're like, oh, my gosh, like I would never remember all that. And it's like, oh, you don't have to remember it. That's why you have the the dry erase board where you could mark stuff down, keep track of how many clues are in what row and things like that. And I think that makes it a little bit easier. But when you start getting into the more advanced scenarios, you really have to remember that it's cooperative and you are working as a team. And I may have a good idea of what I have on this row. Right. But maybe I can ask a question that helps somebody else at the table. Yeah. Because apparently the party either gets out of jail or not together. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You uh, in the, the scenarios that we played, you had two opportunities at the end. Once all the questions have been asked, once you've figured out what you think, you know, it goes around the table and everybody goes by, you know, hey, my victim is this and you goes around the table. My crime is this. Yeah. The site is this. The evidence is this. So we had, what, two chances to get them wrong? Yeah. And if we had if we had missed two of those throughout the whole party, uh, game over. Yeah, you lose. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but it's, like I said, it is very different from anything that we have. We don't really have any deduction games. Outside of like social deduction, but in true deduction games, we just don't have any. But I really like this one. Yeah. It's light. It's it's quick. Yeah. Like that's another thing too. Um, I think we played four games in like an hour and a half, something like that. Like it it went really, really fast once we got the hang of all right, so this is how we actually play. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I do, I do want to try this with a bigger group. We played with three people. Yeah. I would love to see it with more. It plays up to five. That is going to have, I think, a huge impact on how the questions go and the just the deduction side of it. I have heard people talk about this game. We were watching a review on it where they were talking about it being like a one-trick pony. It All it does is deduction. This is a game of pure deduction. Yeah. But there's a lot of nuance that comes in because of the different scenarios and that campaign building where yeah. it becomes more complicated. They add more mechanics into it as you go that may not... It doesn't change the fact that it, it's a pure deduction game but it gives you a little bit more to play with. Yeah, so we we got through the first four games, just kind of give you an idea how much game is in the box. The first four sessions, and we still have not introduced player powers yet. Right. As far as like what it's actually told us to do. Yeah. So there are also some crazy pieces that like block out part of the board and stuff like that. So I don't have any idea how they work, but they look cool. Yeah, I'm sure when we get to the scenario, it'll tell us. Yeah. Uh, we did get the upgrade from the Kickstarter. It was a little mini expansion that adds, I think, two or three more scenarios after the main campaign. Mm-hmm. So um, that's pretty cool. I'm excited to kind of get into that. Uh, but yeah, overall, I've really enjoyed this game. I think it was a very good back. Um, and I'm excited that we're finally getting games that we backed in. Uh, we're going to do an episode at some point of all of the Kickstarter that we backed this year because... Um, it has been a lot. It has been a lot. Uh, yeah. A significant portion of uh, my income has gone to Kickstarter, and I feel like I should get a badge or something. <laughs> a non-zero number. <laughs> it's definitely a non-zero number. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, let's go ahead and rate this. Uh, let's start with value. This was just delivered, and it was a Kickstarter. We got the deluxe version, which means uh, we got some fancy wooden tokens with it. And the dry erase boards. And the dry erase boards. And we ended up paying uh, $40 for the Kickstarter and then, what, 10 bucks for shipping? So yeah, something like that. We're looking at like $50. Bucks. Um, i am really happy with what we got. Yeah, I think especially the upgraded bits 
are very very nice. Right. the The wooden tokens um, look good. They feel good. Uh, they they feel really well done. They don't feel cheap. But even the cardboard, because we have you got those as well, and a couple right. of them got punched out. Um, they're good. They do what they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it's it's still not a bad base game. I think that those dry erase boards are really nice. Like that makes a huge difference than having to do it on paper. Yes. Uh, 100%. I think that I hope that that is in a retail edition that they do because it's, it's worth every penny. of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. As far as um, the value of the actual like game and stuff like that goes, I, I think you get a really good bit of game in the box. Absolutely. Um, I know we had mentioned the one review was talking about it being sort of a one trick pony, but there's a lot of different like things in the scenarios and stuff that, that it brings in yeah. that keep it fresh, even though you're, you're doing the same basic thing sure. over and over. I think that this is a game that you have a group that you play through it. And I think it's something like 16 or 17 scenarios right. in total. Um, and then taking this to another group is something that would be fun. But even if you, the replayability on the scenarios, because the scenarios don't hold a lot of yeah it mainly the scenarios do more of a teaching uh, yeah of, of how to play and like introduce new mechanics kind of a little bit at a time sure which i like games that do things like that so i i would say though you could go back and replay scenarios because you never know what cards you're going to you're get. always going to be yeah so it's it's going to be different every time yeah uh so i like that i feel like for an msrp of around 40 bucks you're definitely getting your money's worth out of this game. That I feel like that's pretty cheap for a board game, especially one that you're guaranteed to get like a good 20 plays out of it with one group. Yeah. You yeah, know? absolutely. Um, and it comes down to one of those things too, where deduction games are not everybody's thing. Like, yes. So because it is a group, like we talked about, sometimes you're going to have to look at your questions for things that you want to ask. And sometimes you may have to ask questions for people that are in the group that need a little nudge. Yeah, that is one area of this, which we can talk about when we get into gameplay, that I think may be, may be tough because it's a cooperative and you do rely on everyone else so much. Yeah. Um, it really depends on the makeup of your group. Um, but as far as value goes, um, I think it's a solid eight. Yeah, I'm right in there, like seven, five, eight. Uh, like, I don't feel like I got anything over on the company or anything like that, you know? <laughs> but they didn't get me either. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're good to go. Uh, so let's talk about components. It, like I said, we got the upgraded components, which I think make a big difference for me when I'm playing a game. I absolutely hate writing on notepads. I don't know what it is about gaming <laughs> and writing on a notepad than throwing it away. That's right. What was that one game that we had that, that was like your one gripe of it? Was it was because you had to score on a notepad? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, it, I don't like it. I don't know why. I don't like it. I, I think it's, I don't know, maybe it's my inner hippie or something coming out and I'm tearing through trees or something. <laughs> but if I could just write it on a, a wipe and just wipe it off. Yeah. You know, uh, the 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 boards that you get are i mean they feel like they're cardboard and they're covered in like a plastic or something um but they're really nicely done they're really lightweight um really easy to wipe off yeah they give you like your uh dry erase markers they give you have a little eraser, eraser on, the, on the tip and then you have extra erasers if you need to replace that but i just went and got a towel like yeah. a little hand towel and wet you wet one end of it wipe it off move to the next game yeah it worked out perfect i really like that uh the wooden pieces really are nice 
Yeah, yeah, they feel really good. There's a couple other upgraded pieces. Uh, there is a piece called the Queen. I don't. Again, we don't really know what she does, but she comes with her own die and it, like her own little wooden standy thing. I was gonna say, doesn't she have her own standy? Yeah. Yeah. So that that looks really really good. The cardboard pieces that come to the base game are not bad. They're but they're just your straight punch out cardboard. Right. They they do the job. They'll do the job for a couple of years. Yeah. 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 You're not getting over anything. It's not major. Uh, the boards I liked seeing the pre-production version of it, where it was you, it was kind of like a fold-out flat book. Yes, I like the way that they did. So, in the pre-production versions, it was all in a book, where the scenario story would be on the left side, the actual board you're looking at playing on would be on the right. Now, the scenario book is its own separate little booklet, mm-hmm. and then you have individual boards for the actual boards you're playing with. I like that much better. I, I do think, as well. I don't think it eats up as much table. Yep. And I think it makes it a little bit easier to place the question pieces on the columns and the grid. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I like that. Uh, components, again, like a good solid seven, five, eight. Um, even the, maybe maybe like a seven if you're talking uh, the non-upgraded components because there's a notepad in there um, and it infuriates me. But I thought you would put that more like a five. I'm, I'm trying to be nice because <laughs> I like the game. We'll get into gameplay. But yeah, um, the components, if you if you get the non-upgraded ones, they're going to do what they do. But I imagine, too, that if you're looking at getting it retail with the non-upgrades, you're probably only looking at like 30, 35 bucks. Yeah, I, I'd probably give it a seven because it's nothing that made me go, oh, my God, these are amazing. Right. But also at the same time, I was not like, these components suck. So, yeah, yeah I think it's probably a seven for me. Okay. Um, but yeah, they, they are very good components, um, especially the upgraded ones. You're not going to have any issues out of them as long as you will want to play this game. Yeah, definitely. Gameplay. Yeah, so this is the one area that I think is interesting. Because this is a cooperative deduction game, I think you can run into some issues based on your group. Yes, like we talked about, some people can do deduction and some people can't. It's That's not their thing. Yeah. And not like they don't like it, like they just can't do deduction. Yeah. 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 And... So I think you have to be careful based on your group. And what's crazy is you might not know that about a person until, until you get play. started. Yeah. yeah. So There's just a- keep that in mind um, that this is one of those games that it requires everyone to be able to do it. Now, that being said, the simpler, the like earlier scenarios are pretty straightforward. They are. They are. Uh, I, I feel like even somebody who is not good at deduction could kind of make those connections. And I think if you have had somebody that's played before, like we have, Anybody that I'm going to have sit down to this game, a couple of the tips that I'm going to give them about tracking their information on that grid can make a huge difference. Like if you ask, do I have any? And it says two. Well, then I don't know which two. Well, there's a spot on your pad to write the number in that grid that you have. So I think pointing out that sort of thing. And then when you get your grid, every one of the uh, actual game boards has uh, spaces that are already marked off that there's nothing yeah. on it. Yeah. So go through and mark those off. Make sure you get it right. Cause yeah. 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 yeah that's a thing. But also look at the cards you got dealt. You know, those are not going to be your cards. Go ahead and mark those off as well. Yep. yep. So I think that kind of thing will help out along the way. I mean, there's two types of people in this world. Those that can like, you know, uh, infer information and then. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> gameplay, uh, I, like I said, it, it is kind of a one-trick pony, but the changes in the scenario and how they be, get more advanced and more advanced and more advanced, they just kind of slowly ratchet up. Yeah. 
makes the campaign of this, I think, really, really good. Yeah, and it's it has a it has a level of simplicity to it in the beginning that I think is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I love to see games that that do that. Um, but then I also love to see that games that are able to take that same core and then ratchet up that complexity further down the line. Absolutely. Uh, and I think this game does a really good job of that. So definitely gameplay for me is probably a nine. Um, just cause I think it's just really well done. Yeah. It is a really, there are other deduction games out there that we have not played obviously since we don't have any of those in our collection, but the way this one is done is really good. Yeah. Um, again, it got me with the theme, which you really, you could live without the theme and this game would still do the same thing. Yeah. But I like that. And being a longtime role player, I was like, no, no, this totally makes sense. Yeah. 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 Somebody had too much spicy tea and then you wake up in jail the next morning. No. Yeah. Yeah. That checks out. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's talk replayability. Yeah. So I think this automatically comes in the, the, I feel like it comes in one of two camps. Either you look at it as this is the same game over and over and over. Right. So it's not really that replayable because you're just playing the same game. Or you're going to look at it as the game actually changes enough every time because you're going to have different clues. You're going to have different cards. You're going to have different people. Right. All that sort of thing. So to me, I lean towards the second camp. Um, Even though the same general mechanic you're playing and it's not like a super complex mechanic. Even though you're doing that over and over, I still think there's a lot of replayability in this game. I think so. Um, I think it does have a limit. Uh, But again, every time you play this game, because of how, because of being a deduction game and how good some people are or are not at that, different groups with this is going to be uh, like a new experience every time. Right. And sure. I think kind of leaning back into value, you know, you're talking 40 bucks for a game. Let's Mm -hmm. say if you get, I don't know, three hours, four hours worth of entertainment out of it. Like, is that not worse? Yeah. Like, like that's, I I think sometimes we, we don't talk about that when it comes to gaming, but you know, you relate it to something else you would do for that amount of time, going to the movie theater or, you know, whatever it is. You're going to easily spend that kind of money for that sort of experience. Right. You know, whereas this, I think the level is much higher than that when it comes to that. So, uh, yeah, for me, I think replayability is probably an eight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it tops out at an eight. I think that's yeah. as high as it could go, but it's there because yeah. of the different scenarios, because of the changes, because of the stuff that happens as it gets more and more complicated. Yeah. Um, and then. The stuff that came with the Kickstarter may make it. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the maybe the Queen really changes the game. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. Again, us only having been through the first few scenarios, we've only begun to scratch the surface of what this game can do. Um, but yeah, I, I I think it's definitely there. So for an overall rating, what do you think? Um, I'm really right around like a seven five eight for just overall. Uh, it does what it does well. Uh, it doesn't try to do too much more than that. Like I said, there's the theme that they put on the box which i kind of like the artwork it's kind of very blocky yeah. the different characters that you can play have their own personalities and their own character powers that come into play later on i always like that and being able to explore that um it plays uh what two to five they all have their own powers but there's kind of like a whole like cast like a host with your victims and with you know what else you have in there yeah um, which i like and i like the artwork to it 
Uh, so, but I, yeah, I feel overall, um, if you back this one, you're going to be happy with it. And if you do see it when it comes to retail, it's definitely a good game to pick up, especially if you have a group of people who like to play like thinkers. Yeah. Um, it, it's definitely going to keep that group happy. Yeah. I, I think I come in at about 7.52. Um, I, and I think that's kind of where this one tops out at. Yeah. It is a very specific game. <laughs> like, right. It's not like it it has multiple themes, mechanics, or anything like that that are going to carry it, uh, you know, over top of other games. But it does what it does well. Yes, I think and, that's I think that's the big point on this one. Yeah, and and I think that's a, a lot to be said for it. Um, but it is a very fun game, and like I said, it's different from anything else that we have in our current collection, which I think is a great place to be. Um, it definitely it finds a place there. I, I am happy that we backed it which is always something exciting when you get a Kickstarter in. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. It's never as much fun the other way. Like, yeah. what, did, what were we thinking? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think this is a very good game. If you are into deduction, if you have people in your play groups who like things like Wordle and Sudoku and things like that, this is going to be right up their alley. And now, our crowdfunding roundup. We pulled three projects today. Uh, one of them, I just apparently think that we're fanboys for uh, Cthulhu, because we have another Old Ones Lovecraftian horror board game. What's funny is, I, I don't know that I'm really a, a like Lovecraftian fan, honestly, but they just always look so good. <laughs> it's hard to deny. Um, and then we've got some new terrain for those of you that are into wargaming, specifically Warhammer 40k. And we're going to round it all out with just really big dice. So let's get started with Chance for the Old Ones. Right. So Chance for the Old Ones is a deck building game, uh, which also has a board and some cool little miniatures in which you are trying to get your cult to summon the old one first. There are different old ones that you can summon. And each one of them has separate requirements in order to summon them. Everyone starts with the same cultists in their deck, just plain old boring cultists. As you play the game, you get to upgrade those as you upgrade your deck, uh, hopefully providing new and better actions to be able to do and driving closer to summoning the old one that is the goal of the game. It looks really, really good. It's got your your Lovecraftian artwork, which I think is a draw for a lot of people. Right. Uh, it does have some interesting little miniatures, uh, some cultists and some temples, and there's a giant like Cthulhu statue that sits in the middle. We are fans of giant statues that sit in the middle of the board and don't really do much. <laughs> see, see Homelander? Right. I'm going to um, have a whole shelf of just nothing but big-ass statues that do nothing. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this one looks very interesting. Uh, it is a uh, kind of got a mechanic in it where you don't know exactly where everybody is as far as fulfilling the goals to summon the old one. So it creates kind of a, a tension there uh, between the different players. So looking at the game board, it's divided into three sections. Um, and the three sections are the three main cities that kind of go along with Lovecraftian lore, which are Arkham, Innsmouth, and Kingsport. Uh, these three, you are able to take different actions in there. 
Um, and what I thought was really cool, you can have investigators like come after your cultists and you have to like fight them off. Right. Which seems to be uh, kind of a, a thing that in cult games happens a lot. You've got to deal with the authorities. Right. And so. I mean, most of the traditional Lovecraftian games, you play as the investigators. Right. So I, I think it's a cool little flip on that. Right. It's kind of a spin because now you're coming at it from the cultist point of view. Right. Exactly. See, they're not all just bad people. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the game looks really good. The artwork and stuff, like you said, looks great. It's kind of a deck builder is what it looks like. Yeah. Um, or definitely some deck builder elements in there. And the like the, the huge Cthulhu, I don't, is he like a baby Cthulhu? I don't know. He doesn't look like he's fully uh, formed yet, but the statue that sits in the middle of the table looks really good. They've got a hand-painted one on there, so I don't know what it's going to look like when it gets to you, but we all love painting giant minis, right? So one of the things that I really liked from the designer, uh, he talked specifically about how they wanted the game to be easy to pick up, but difficult to master. So um, I think the it looks like the decision space that they are shooting for um, can be pretty large, but they don't want it to cause like an analysis paralysis type situation. Okay. Um, so uh, one of the things in the Kickstarter post that he talks about um, is that turns are very fast. Um, you basically play a car, take the action and go. Um, so that way the turns kind of speed along. Um, but yet there is a lot of room as you start to build the deck out to, um, make decision space and things like that to, to kind of really round that out. So I think that's interesting. Um, they said that they spent a long time wanting to build this game to be competitive um, so that it's not just the same experience over and over. Right. Um, and that was part of the introduction for the multiple um, different old ones because each one is summoned differently. Okay. So that way the game stays fresh even after multiple playthroughs. Got it. So let's look at the pledge levels. Uh, there's the throw two bucks at them so you know what's going on pledge. Uh, the first retail pledge is about 50 bucks, and it's one unit of the game with all of the unlock stretch goals. Uh, then the second one is the campaign edition. You get a copy of the complete game, including all the stretch goals, and the campaign expansion, The Last Cult, which it says is an immersive solo campaign adding hours of gameplay. So you could play this by yourself, which I know solo games are kind of uh, kind of your thing. Yeah, uh, I definitely enjoy them. I, I like... I, I don't know how it, it's going to be. Obviously, I like when solo games kind of build into the game and they're not just tacked on but i mean who knows we'll see i like that it has like a full campaign that usually means that they put some thought and effort to it right so um i'm not a fan of solo games that are just um you try to beat your high score right uh those are always seem a little arbitrary to me um kind of story driven solo games really usually draw me in the next um tier is for about 89 90 bucks and it includes the solo campaign, but it also includes the Lovecraft Bestiary art book, which is about 74 full-color pages with some more of the artwork. If you're into that, um, that'll definitely be something that you'd be interested in. Uh, if you want the uh, Cthulhu statue, you can get the Cthulhu edition for 139 bucks. You can copy the game, all the stretch goals, the Cthulhu statuette, a limited edition sculpture, hand-painted and ready for display. So it comes already painted. That's uh, nice. The Awaken... Oh, wait. Oh, and the sculpture has been designed into the play as well. Um, and then the final one that's available is the Eldritch Edition uh, for about 168 bucks. This is the all-in pledge. You get a copy of the game, 
you get unlocked stretch goals, the two expansions for uh, the solo and the multiplayer, the Lovecraft Bestiary art book, Cthulhu Statuette. So there we go. This one has, at time of recording, 16 days left to go, and it is already whew, funded. Uh, they asked for 10 grand, and they're at 115 now. Yeah, so plenty, plenty of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so the next project we have is actually a really cool one uh, that we stumbled across. I think this is their second project of mm-hmm. this nature, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, this is the Titans Terrain, um, specifically Series 2. Uh, they are a company that makes pop-up terrain for war gaming. Specifically, this one is for 40K. Some of the uh, uh, places that this pop-up or that this terrain represents um, are well-known places in 40K. Uh, you're talking uh, Crucible Majoris and Regalia Prime. Um, and they're they're simply just, like I said, pop-up terrain that you can fit together to make a full game board. Yeah, so I I like this idea because we've had this discussion before. We would love to have terrain pieces for like RPGs and stuff like that, but space is always an issue. We don't have enough space now for the things that we have. We don't have really the space to promote. Um, we have friends who have a lot of things like from Dwarven Forge, right? That takes up like half their garage. Yeah. Um. So that's a lot of issues when it comes to terrain. They look to um help with that problem. So they will, in their sets, when they're all unfolded and everything, they unfold out to, um, let me see, they unfold out to 45 inches by 60 inch, like full battlefield with all these different pop-up pieces. But when they're all folded back up and back together, they're about the size of a normal board game box. So each set comes with 12 tiles, so you can change them around, uh, move them. There's like burned out buildings, there's uh, you know bunkers, things like that. All sorts of terrain, which is the stuff you want to play when you're playing a war game. you got to have that out there yeah. to hide behind and all that. So uh, it gives you a lot of versatility. Um, the game board's always going to be the same size, but you may put things in different places. Yeah, the other thing that they have with this is um, on each of the worlds, they have like center pieces that they made. Yes. So for um, the, they have the Infernal Spire, uh, which is a um, huge piece that stands up. <laughs> it's, it's, they say it's their largest pop up ever. Yeah. Uh, but it's like a giant building that will sit in the middle of the battlefield uh, that would provide, I'm sure, some interesting opportunities to work around and work with. Right. Um, but yeah, that I love that that is part of an expansion that they're doing. Um, and again, just like the others, it's completely modular. So you don't have to put it necessarily in the middle. If you want, you can move it around and all sorts of things like that. Um, it's a six tile expansion set. Um, so it comes with a couple other buildings. Um, the infernal spire is kind of the showpiece, but it also comes with a couple, uh, what they call the hellfire halls and the crumbled crypt. Um, both of which are kind of like specialty buildings that would fit well within the other terrains. And then there's the other core set and another expansion set. And the other expansion is the Ruined Reliquary. Uh, The Reliquary Cathedral is their centerpiece. And it looks like a massive church that's been bombed out. Uh, Same sort of thing. It looks like it takes up like double the size of the tile. And it's got a couple other extra buildings for around it. Uh, Like terrain for me has always been one of those things where as, uh, you know, I'm building all of my minis and stuff. Now I got to build terrain too. This feels like a quick way to get, you know, build minis and get them on the board. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of like that. Uh, Let's look at the pledge tiers. 
Yeah, so the the first one that we have up, um, actually, outside of the standard, you know, just make a donation to support them. Uh, we have the two sets, the two core sets. They are $140 each. So each set is, of course, the 12 tile set um, that covers the 44 by 60 inches of play space. Uh, it's pretty much your standard run with them. Uh, you can then upgrade from there. You can go with $200. That'll give you the core set and the expansion um, for whichever set that you choose. Uh, and then, of course, the next one is the Big Shebang. Um, you, it's $390, so you save $50 off the total price. Um, and that gives you the core set of both and the expansion of both. And then there is a retail bundle for $800 uh, in case you do have a store and you want to stock this. And you get 16 sets of the terrain, 50% off uh, all the retail price. And that's only that's only available for your friendly local game stores. Right. Uh, the, there are some limited edition tiers as well. The early bird uh, complete set uh, will get you the complete uh, Crucible Majoris set and free dice. And then they also have that for the Regalia Prime. Uh, and then for, <laughs> those are $200. But they do have one more. It's a $10,000 pledge. Ooh. There's only there's five of these available. If you really want to go big, you visit the Titan Studio for a day, get to play 40K in the, with the Titans, help create a video, and hang out to see a live game in person. Also includes team lunch and dinner with the Titans for $10,000. Uh, but you do get all four sets. You do get all the four sets. <laughs> so... Hey, man, I don't know. Maybe somebody's listening has got the big pockets. Somebody has bought one of those. There are only four left now. So, you know, jump on that if if you are about that. There's 26 days left in the campaign. Uh, they are not funded yet, but they're really, really close. I'm sure that 10 grand helped. They're yeah. at 188,000 <laughs> uh, out of their goal of 200,000. Yeah, they're looking at delivery by July of next year, which is that's not a bad wait time. Either, uh, especially considering I'm sure the production that's got to go into the printing and stuff of these. So, all right, and our last project, um, the Monolith D20. It's an 85 millimeter resin D20. It's just a big ass dice, like think the size of a softball. <laughs> and again, for our audience, softball is a game. You never. Mind. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, they're just, they're these just massive 20 sided dice. They look really great. Um, and they have a couple of different colors you can choose from. Yeah, this, uh, this caught my eye just because I like big dice and I cannot lie. Uh, you other brothers can't, no, uh, these these look really cool. The colors are very cool. They're resin dice. Um, I have a larger, what they call the table shaker from, um, level up, level dice. up dice. Yep. Uh, so this is even much bigger than that. Uh, these things just like really, really cool. I'm, that's, that's the main reason why we're here. Um, they have unlocked a couple extra colors as well. Uh, there is another color too that they have as a stretch goal. Um, that is like a really, really cool black and green color. Um, but yeah, they look really cool. Like I said, they're, they're about the size of a softball. Um, if you are looking for something to intimidate your players with, or maybe you need to intimidate your DM, um, or maybe you need a weapon around the house to take out <laughs> some, some sort of ruffians that may break in. This this covers all the bases. You might be able to drill a hole through it and like string a rope or something if you need a, a new weapon. I, I don't know. The options are pretty much endless. We have you could be a, it could be a boat anchor probably. I, I don't know, but yeah. 
this uh this looks really really cool uh this is a fun little project there's not a whole lot to it obviously um it's just big dice yeah yeah so let's look at the the pledge levels that they got uh starting for 42 bucks so one of these is going to cost you uh about about the price of like a good metal set yeah or at least a decent metal set yeah uh, or you could get two of them for 76 or three of them for 108 or four for 136 you guys see where this is going right uh for about <laughs> 160 uh you can get five of them so that's the pledge levels it's really like how many big dice you want yeah i i mean if you want to get one for everybody in your party you know that way you all could run around with weapons um you know you do what you you do what you got to do uh there are some stretch goals still remain to be unlocked so currently the project is at uh $10,000 of their um their original $300 goal so they've definitely funded right uh the next stretch goal unlocks at 15,000 that's the new color of the the dice then if they get to 20,000 they will throw in a random set of normal size dice um and if they get to 30,000 you get a free wooden display box with your order which, Which looks really nice. Yeah, it, it's very, very fancy. The campaign has 17 days left to go. So uh, if you like Big Dice, go check this out. And with that... Hey, I'm waiting outside the big box store. They open in 10 minutes. Well, I'm over here at the game store, and it looks like they're opening boxes to stock. So maybe like five minutes? Oh, bad news. Some jackass was first in line and bought everything. Man, I I got one booster pack. One single pack. But it had a brave little Taylor Mickey and a foil bell strange but special. That's a win. For the Dapper Meeple, I'm Jim. And I'm Josh. Good night, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for sticking around and listening to our show. Hey, if you enjoyed what we're doing here, Follow us and leave a like. It really helps us out. And if you have anything to say back to us, you can find us on Instagram or Facebook at the Dapper Meeple or at DapperMeepleGaming at gmail.com. And as always, we'll save you a seat at the table.